A race what? A race against time? You ever felt you're racing against time? Hello? You ever felt you're racing against time? You ever felt you're racing against opportunities? That your best days are behind you? And your, the things that you wanted to do are somehow beginning to slip behind you and you think, I'm aware that I'm coming into the final stages of my life or I haven't even got my race going yet. The Bible has a lot to say about the race. A lot to say about the race. You know, the moment the word, and when I say the word, I mean Jesus Christ. When I open this Bible, and the moment the person behind this black and white type speaks to me, and I, and I, I am profoundly affected by it, my race began. It takes Christ to start the race. Do you know when you're at the beginning of the race and they wait for the pistol, don't they? And some runners will always go before the pistol. It's the bee of the bank sometimes. Uh, but often a lot of people will try and get a head start. But you can't run until Christ has been revealed. That's when this race of yours started. The moment Christ spoke to you. And revealed himself to you. Now, if Christ didn't reveal himself and hasn't spoke to you, you're in life's race. You're still in a race either way. And why? Because there's a start, there's a middle, and there's a finish. Yes? It seems like when you're young, you spend 20 years, 25 years learning, preparing to live the rest of your life. You get between 25 to say 40 to 50 Right? And then you start feeling old. Then you feel you don't have the energy to do what the young ones are doing. But that's, that's all in there. So, God wants us to run a, run a race and run it strong and run it with purpose. So the moment Jesus Christ speaks to you, or you feel that this, this black and white, um, or this book of black and white print, there's a voice behind it. I don't mean the voice of the Misterons, Captain Scarlet. Some of you might not understand what that is. But there's a voice that literally speaks to you when you read this. You're thinking, wow, this thing is alive. The Bible tells you it is alive. It's living and active. So this living and active voice begins to speak. The moment you respond to it, you're in. Right? And then last week I talked to you about sometimes you can be in the race and it can take you half an hour to actually get the, to the starting line and feel like you're there. Especially if you run a marathon. If you run a Manchester marathon, a, a local marathon, there's so many thousands of people running, you can actually spend half an hour getting to the starting line. Not, we're not talking about the Olympics marathon now. They all seem to start at the same time. But we're talking about national marathons. People can take ages. Because you've got the fun runners, haven't you? you got the fun runners waving at Auntie Doris as they're running. And they've all got their, all the different costumes on because they're doing it for charity. And you've got the serious boys at the front and you've got what they call the fun runners. This is, not, this is meant to be fun, but it's also meant to be serious. So the moment the word came to a prophet in the Old Testament, guess what? Movement was needed. And the word came to keep the people moving in the race or on the journey. 
The word has to come to keep the people moving. The word has to come to make sense of what you're going through. The word has to come. This is why this Bible must keep speaking. Some people receive Christ and that's the only time they heard him speak. We must continuously keep hearing God speak to us so we can keep moving, keep adjusting in our race. Yes? This is why you'll always find stagnant runners stop, get stale, procrastinate. Why? Because you'll always find behind that they've stopped hearing the voice. When the voice speaks, it moves. It encourages us to move, keep on moving. So the moment Paul, the Apostle Paul, saw the light, he was on the road to create destruction. He was on the Damascus road, the Bible tells us, and he was going there to produce destruction to the church. He was going to persecute Christians. That was his mission. Destroy those people calling themselves Christians. Why? Because these are false. That's what the Jews thought. And still believe that today. They're waiting for Christ to come. But we've already seen him. That which we've seen, that which we've heard. So we know. But Paul was on a, on a mission to persecute the church. Until the voice came on the road and said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Notice Jesus said, you're persecuting me. If you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me. And he said, and then straight away went, who are you, Lord? <laughs> There's a contradiction. Who are you, Lord? You've just answered your own question. Well, this is the voice of the Mysterons. No, he didn't say that. He heard the voice, and instantly, that voice cut in on Paul's objective. And the moment that voice cut in on Paul's objective, it turned Paul around and led him in a different direction. That voice has to come. That voice has to come. Hopefully it will come to you this morning. The moment the veil is taken off, Paul's veil was taken off his eyes. Who is it, Lord? It wasn't, who is it, Lord? It was, who is it, comma, Lord? A realization that the, you're the dude I've been persecuting. So there's one thing about the Christian race. Well, there's many things about this Christian race. The Christian race must be understood in order for it to be run effectively. You can't just run. You know, you let a dog off the lead. What does a dog do? It doesn't run in the same direction, does it? I said same, not same. A dog just runs sporadic. Children run sporadic. If I take Harper and Ella, my granddaughters, into a store... They just go wild. And you've got to shout them to guard them, to guide them, to govern them. Because why? They just run everywhere. They think, kids think everything is playful. Dogs just think every space. That's why it's not uncommon to see a dog just run into someone. It's so happy and glad and dizzy that it just runs. It sees wide open spaces and just runs. That's not our race. We can't run like a man beating his air. We can't run like a man beating the air. In other words, he's intense. We can't run foolishly. We can't run sporadically. We've got to run in a certain direction on a certain course. We're not animals. We're not children. We must have a course. We must have a path in life in order for our race to be effective. So this race must be understood in order for it to be 
ran effectively. It's a continual collective race. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. And it's also an individual race. So it's a, it's a continuous collective, and it's also an individual personal. In other words, though you are running on your own, there are millions of people running with you. Around the world, there are millions of Christians running their race. But you have got to focus on your race. Yes? So it's an all-inclusive, all-cultural, all-gender race that involves people. So it's collective, but it's also personal. Yeah? So let me break this down for you. It's continual. Why is it continual? Because it's generationally been ran before you. Before you got in, before the veil was lifted, before you heard the voice, others heard it before you. In other generations, in other times past, people have run it before you. That's why you know about it now, because others ran before you, and now they're telling us of their experience. Yes? So, when we look at those runners, there was patriarchs. In other words, fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were patriarchs who ran the race. Before anybody else could be included, somebody had to be a forerunner. Abraham had to run in order for Isaac to, to know about God. Abraham, God encountered Abraham, and from Abraham, the whole world knows. Isaac had to, to, could not receive what Abraham unless Abraham paid it forward. Jacob could not understand what Abraham and Isaac had inherited until God met him. And, and Jacob was on his own race, doing his own thing, and God had to speak to him and cut in on him to turn him around so that the, the nations of Israel could be birthed through him. Things are waiting to be birthed in you on this race. That book I've just written, that book's come out of my race. Why? Three aspects to my race. I'm living it, I'm leading it, and I will leave it. I will leave what? I will leave all that I've learned and imparted into you, my grandchildren, and into other people who's heard me around the world. But I've also got to live it. I've got to take responsibility for it. I've got to lead it. I've got to have direction in order to lead. I've got to know where I'm going. So you've got to live your life. You've got to lead your life before you can ever leave it. That's why when you've got no legacy, the only thing left is an inheritance. Inheritance has nothing to do with legacy. Jesus gave you an inheritance before you even started the race. So, let's continue on with this. So it's run generationally by prophets, sorry, by patriarchs. Then there's prophets. Then there's priests. And then there's kings. So it's been run by patriarchs, prophets, priests, and kings. And then... It's been run by disciples, centurion, the lame, the adulterer, the blind, the deaf, the sick, ordinary people, just like you and me, have also run this race and are running this race. How many people go to a crusade, an evangelistic crusade, get healed, and because they've been so wonderfully, marvelously healed, they just begin to follow Jesus and go and tell people about the healing. Jesus has to cut in on your race at some point. At some point. But listen, 
Though he does it at some point initially, he must keep on doing it on the race. So this race has survived exiles, devastation, persecution, and governments who have made destructive decrees to kill Christians. Even today, people, governments, regimes, religious cultures are trying to stop the church from running its race. Even secular, worldly governments, Western governments, who say the Christian nations are actually killing our race by their legislation. They're killing the very thing that their foundation was built on. The very thing that America says she stands for, the very thing that Britain stands for, is the very thing she undermines. Because she stops prayer in schools, she stops religious education in schools, she now becomes all-encompassing. And then when you, the moment you do that, the moment you then, you benefit one group, but then you, you kill another. And this is what these governments do through their decrees and their legislation. The, the race is about carrying a baton or a torch. Whichever illustration fits you best. If you're a sports person, a baton will fit your thinking. If you're, if you're just a, uh, not a, a sports person, then a torch might work for you. Something that lights up the way. And as it lights up the way, it begins to bring revelation. It begins to bring hope. It begins to bring transformation to those whose hands it can be passed on to. Amen? And those who take hold of it. It's a race with clear, distinct phases. And I want to talk to you about four phases you will go through on your race. Clear, distinct phases. Though it's a race that's been run generationally, it's also a race that's been run by religious extremists. It's a race that's been run culturally. It's a race that has also, we have seen, demonic outbursts through the centuries. This cleansing of uh, Spanish Inquisition, the, the Reformation. We see masses, when, when demonic activity takes over, they just, uh, should say, religious cleansing seems to be the manifestation. That's demonic. Killing people in the name of God. Killing people in the name of Christ. What is the greatest argument people have? Oh, don't talk to me about Christianity. It's killed thousands around the world. And guess what? It has in one sense. It has. Whether it's the Crusades, whether it's the Reformation, go any epoch in time, you'll find religion has always destroyed people. And when I say religion, I don't just mean Christianity. I mean any religion kills people. But Christ, this is why I say the difference between religion and Christianity. People don't understand that. Christ never killed anyone. Christ came into the world not to condemn the world. To give life and hope. To give it a chance. He didn't come in to condemn the world, to kill it. He came to give it life and hope. So if you read all the scripture, you read all the life of Jesus, not once does he ever tell you to kill someone. Pray for those who persecute you. That's my Christianity. But men have, got, men have not understood this. Will you take Islam? Islam will kill any infidel because 
the adith, is it called the adith? What they call it? One of the laws in there? Addict, that's it, addict. Something, a D, is it? A D. So they'll send one of those laws out, and that's it. Once they're sent out, there's no turning back. That's not Christianity. So, this race involves nations. This race involves regions. This race involves individuals. Yeah? It's a spiritual race. It's a unique race. It includes millions of runners. Billions, in fact. But each runner, irrespective of national, global, regional, individual, each race must be ran individually. Each race needs individual focus. And each race must be finished. Each race must be finished. Now, let me make a statement here, which might shock some of you. Dying is not you finishing your race. Dying is not proof that you finish your race. It's not. Why do I say that? Because you read in Acts, it tells us that when David had finished the purposes of God, then he died. When Jesus had done it all, he said, Father, it is finished, then he died. The race was finished, completed before death. Death is not the sign that you finish your race. Death is not even the sign you even ran your race. Death, you know what death is? Death. One thing that death does tell us is that when you're dead, you can't run your race. It's too late. So death, please don't ever think, oh, they've gone home now, they've finished the race. That's not yours to say. There must be evidence on this ground that they were in a race first. There must be evidence by the fruits you shall know. There must be evidence on the ground that you're in a race. And you've heard me say many times, don't use coming to church as evidence. That's not evidence. Do you know the devil comes to church? Some people bring him. And some people cast him out. Say, you're not in our church. Jog on. The issue is, is death is not a sign that you've run your race. When you've run your race, then you can die. And I don't want to die only to get up to heaven and say, son, you were so close to the end. You were so close. I had tons for you to do down there, but because you chose a different path, because you wouldn't listen to me, because you wouldn't listen to my voice in the middle of your race, you went a different way and it brought you to this point. You brought death upon yourself. It's possible to bring death upon yourself. It's called disobedience. Well, Jesus loves me. It's not about him loving you. Why do you think there's an award ceremony up there? Come on, get sober for a minute. There's a, there's a ceremony up there. And it will account everything you do down here. So you need to run sober-minded. Amen? It really is. And this is when you start understanding your race, you begin to see that, oh my Lord, time's running out. Hello? Course time's running out. Course time's running out. So 1 Corinthians 9, 23 says this. Do, 
I do all this for the sake of the gospel. That I may share in its blessing. Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. He's talking spiritually and metaphorically here. Now we know in a natural race, one gets a prize. Depends which race you're in. You run a marathon, or you're in the Olympics, you don't have to win to get a medal. If you're in the Olympics, you get three of you get a medal. It's called gold, second and third. Second loser, third loser. We create, we've, all we've done is change the rules, right? If you're in a marathon, everyone competing in the marathon gets a medal. I know, I got one. The guy before me had finished out four, well, he probably finished an hour and a half before me, and he got one. He was the real winner, but they say, no, you're all winners. You're damn right I am. Four hours of running, or three hours, 58 minutes, by the way. Under four hours. Under four hours. Stallion I was then. I got that medal to prove it, and I even take a photograph with your time on it. I'm like that, you know. Looking absolutely washed out. Almost collapsed at the line. But I finished. I finished. And I got the medal to prove it. But was I the winner? Who cares? Because when I crossed that line, it was only me that was getting a medal in my mind. I knew enough when I ran that race to know that you'll never see me here again. I'm not coming back to do this race. I just knew it. It took everything out of me. So then we did what we call the fun run. There was no fun in it. <laughs> Running is not fun. It's hard work. It is. And the older you get, it gets harder. So I do all this for the sake of the gospel. Your race must have a purpose. Your race must have a purpose. Why would we even get on the treadmill? Why do I go to the gym? The other week, I'm going to the gym. I'm sat there thinking, and the flesh is crying out, don't take me. Don't make me go. Please don't make me go. I just think you don't understand. Yes, I do. And I'm thinking, and this, this kind of, shut up, you're going. Now, in my old gym, we used to have a sauna. And it was, some nights you didn't want to exercise. You could just sit in the sauna. I just think, oh, but my, this gym doesn't have a sauna. And, uh, and oh, I know, it's, it's awful. That means when you go to my gym, you've got to exercise. And I went, and I did it, and I thought, I walked out thinking, see, that's why I had to go. I go to the gym because I need to stay fit. Destiny needs a body. If you're going to run a race, it needs your body. Yes? Now, I'm not talking about physical running now. In, that, in the spiritual sense, physically, my body needs to stay healthy so I can live my life. Spiritually, you need a body. So, you, it's, all you, it's no use being spiritual if you're not physically sensible. Yes? And you can say, Jesus is my healer. No, but you're the controller of what goes in your mouth. It's true. It's true. You control how many cakes you eat or how many pies or how much bread. You control Yes, you control. When you say grace, Jesus goes, "Mm -mm, no, I can't bless that. (laughs) Next time you're saying grace, have a look with Jesus around you. He stood back and said, I ain't blessing that. 
You know you shouldn't be eating that, don't you? Bless it to my body. God said, "Mm -mm, no way, honey. Do you not know that in the race, all the runners run? You know, the purpose of your race will produce benefits. But so many people are chasing benefits and think it's purpose. Now, I've learned one thing. You can chase benefits and never discover why you are here, why you, should, you exist. Benefits are self-indulgent and they're nice benefits, but too much will become self-indulgent and it'll cloud you and it'll kill you. Yes? But purpose will provide fulfillment. Yes? Purpose provides fulfillment. And out of purpose comes benefits. Don't chase the benefits thinking you'll discover purpose. I tell you, you will never, ever discover purpose by, ch- by chasing benefits. Purpose creates benefits. Benefits does not create purpose. Benefits create pleasure and sadness and frustration. How many people go from benefit to benefit and never feel fulfilled? We live in a benefit generation, not a purpose-driven generation. Everybody thinks they're entitled to something, but sees no purpose for nothing. Because without purpose, there's no value. Hello? Without purpose, there's no value. And we have, in a benefit generation, nothing has any value. Nothing has any value. But in a purpose generation, value is everything. And that's what we've got to change in this house. People come in for benefits. No, we come for purpose. For this reason, Jesus says, for this reason. What is the reason? That word reason is purpose. Purpose is the reason why something's created or why something exists. In this race, all, it's surprising, here's the revelation in case you didn't know. In this race, all the runners run. Now that might come as a revelation to you, that all those in the race run. Again, using the illustration of the race, I've never seen the Olympics when any race where one just stands there and he didn't run and when they go back to him and say, why didn't you run? Well, I just came to, I just wanted to look pretty. I just wanted the photographs. I just wanted to have the feel of what it was like to be stood next to these guys when the gun goes. I never intended to race against them. No runner does that, do they? That sounds stupid. But we do that in the church. We get saved and we're looking at everybody. And then we go, where have they got? I feel alone. I feel lonely. Why feel alone? Because everyone's gone off on the race. That's why. Because if you're in the race... You should be with everybody. Your personality sometimes keeps you in the blocks. Your own personality keeps you in the blocks. Run your race. And you'll find that, and running your race, you'll find a great crowd that will run with you. You start moving, and God will connect you to other runners. In the race, all the runners. There's a, distinct, there's a distinction between the runners and the crowd. You must understand this. The crowds are close to the runners. In a marathon, the people alongside, the, pe- uh, sorry, the people, the crowds are so close to the runners that you can touch them. 
But the crowd is the crowd and the runners are the runners. Do you know that? And sometimes it's been known that people in the crowd get carried up with a euphoria that they start running with them and, and, and finish the race. But they didn't get a prize. Why? Because they were never qualified to run the race. The crowd doesn't run. It's not qualified to run. They are what we call bystanders. You're in your race. The Bible says there is a great crowd. It's called the great crowd of witnesses. Who are the witnesses? The ones who have already run their race and know what the rules are and know what it takes to finish. They're the guys who's cheering on. Come on, you can do it, you lazy rat. Get up. Come on, I've got every belief. I remember when I felt like that. You can do it. They know what it takes to run. The witnesses is not just believers. The witnesses are the ones who run the race. Hello? So Paul made the price sound really, really glorious. And he made it really worth sound. He made it sound... um, He made it sound so good that it was worth sacrificing for. Because that's what he meant to say. When you go to the gym, some people go because they just want to keep fit. Others go because they they see the the blessing of God has overtaken them. God blessed that grace too often. And now they've got a kingdom enlargement. Yes? And they take that scripture, the fat, you know, you'll, fat and be, you'll be fat and flourish in your old age. That's not, that's not good. So we go to the gym, and, and if you own a gym, January and February are the best two months, because everyone gets a conscience for two months, and they go to the gym, and they pay a 12-month subscription, knowing by, some by the end of January or by the end of February, they've quit going, and the gym says, well, I've got 12 months of your money. Right? So the gym are not bothered about you being lazy. The undertaker doesn't care about you being lazy. Why? Because you're business. You are potential business. The NHS say that, oh, there's more people getting sick. You're the painters, but you are funding. We need you. The pharmaceutical companies need you because we make money out of you. And you are creating this industry by you not staying fit. You've got to think like that. That's why when you go to a doctor's, the first thing a doctor does is push drugs at you. Why? Because he's, the drugs, he gets the funding from the, the companies that keep his practice open. So here's what they tell me. First two years of medical profession, you learn about the anatomy. The next three years, you learn about drugs. Which one had more training? Drugs. Because they are now, the modern doctor is designed to push drugs at you. Let's maintain the problem rather than let's cure the problem. Come on. I'm helping you here. I love you. So Paul says this in Philippians 3.8. What is more, what is more, I consider, so he's thinking about it, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. So what's his purpose here? Christ. Following Christ, finding Christ, fulfilling Christ in his life. 
For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having any righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. In his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And to somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. In other words, I want to be like Christ. I want to experience everything you've done so I fully understand you. But he kept was impossible. Why? Because he's not Christ. Christ gave his life up for the whole world. Not Paul. Right? So there is a distinction. What Paul's saying is, if I'm going to be like you, I want to identify with you in every way. That's what he's saying. Now, this is an extreme guy who is, who, is, who is unbelievably focused. This isn't your, you know, your average Jedi here. This guy is a unique guy in every way, in every sense. He wants to know Christ. I don't know how many people volunteer for, for suffering. But I know a lot of people who give it, freely give it. But here this guy says, I want to know you in every way, Jesus. I want to know you're in your resurrection. I want to know you're in your suffering. I want to know, I want to know you in every way, shape, uh, in form. I want to know you in every way possible. And there's such a desire on him that's, that's propelling him and pushing him on this race to live his life. See, when God begins to reveal himself, it begins to stir you to a point that movement is then needed. The moment God speaks to you, I remember the times that God spoke to me. Whenever God speaks to me, it's always to bring me, bring about in me a new action. A new direction sometimes, or a, to stay on the set, a confirmation of the direction that I'm al- I've already felt this is the way. Now a confirmation comes. But it's always to keep me moving. Keep me moving. You know, why would I keep moving if I, don't, if I don't hear God speak to me? It's the relationship that keeps me moving and alive. Without the relationship, I'm nothing. So how many of you heard this? Where's he gone? It's not moving now. Typical. Dan, what have you done with it? Okay. Well, where's the thing? Come on, you dipstick. Change over, Dave. Please. Yeah. How many of you felt? Motivation is what gets you started, but habits is what keeps you going. How many of you believe there's truth in that? I don't think this is going to work, Dave. There's truth in that, isn't there? Motivation is what? The gym... You've got to be motivated to go to the gym, and motivation keeps you going. But the habit of exercise keeps me alive. It's true, isn't it? The habit keeps me going. Why does it keep me going? Because it keeps me healthy. And if I'm healthy, it keeps me going. You need, my friend, motivation and habits. It's your habits that will kill you. And your lack of motivation, that will kill you. You know, your lack of motivation creates a new habit. Have you thought about that? And your habits can create fresh momentum and fresh motivation. They both have a way of affecting each other. They both have a way of affecting each other. 
motivation. I need to go to the gym this year. I need to lose two stone, one stone, whatever it is. You may have a wedding to go to. So ladies you, or gentlemen, you may be motivated to get into your suit or your dress. Right? That's a good motivation, isn't it? Because it's a goal. It's an objective there. Right? And then you think to yourself, well, we're struggling here. We're struggling. Can you make that dress a little bit bigger? Want to make the deadline? You're motivated. And then once you've had the wedding's over, the event's over, it's let's party. I know there's no way I'm going to fit into my, into my wedding suit. Uh, not my wedding suit, but my, the, the suit I, w- I wore for Ben's wedding, my son's. There's no way. I'll probably get into the pants, but maybe the jacket, no. Not the jacket. But guess what? He's not getting married again. I've told him. <laughs> Do it once. That's it. We can't afford another one. Motivation is what gets you started. Habits is what keeps you going. On the race, you need both. You need good motivation and you need good habits. So, let me tell you the first behavior. On, I said there's four phases, very quickly, four phases that you're going to need to understand that when, you, when you're on this race. Last week, we watched a very, very powerful video of the lady who almost got aborted. And the, the point of me showing you that video was to show you that we have to fight to get to the starting line. Very often in life, everything's against us to get to the starting line. But once that lady got to the starting line, she speaks. And she keeps telling other people about this, anti, uh, this uh, abortion and how women's rights are actually killing people. In some aspects of women's rights, that is. So the first thing you need to understand about your race is that your race has origin. Origin. E. There you go. Paul says in... Ch- uh, uh, can I go a little bit faster? Paul says in Acts 22, verse 3, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamal. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers, and I was just as zealous as God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and the council can testify. I even obtained letters from their brothers, in Damascus, and I went to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul's origin, he tells us that he was a murdering, persecuting person who came from Tarsus. He was trained under Gamil, who was one of the teachers, the Pharisee teachers. So he's telling us his background. And very often it's your background that always kills you in the race. It's always your background that will give you reason and create a license for you to not run in an effective way. Well, I can't run like them. Why? Because, well, I was brought up this way. And I didn't have this. And I didn't have that. I didn't have a parent. I was fostered or I was, I was an orphan or I, was, I lost my dad when I was young. And, and all those are real. All those are very, very real. I'm not minimizing them in any way, shape, or form. They are real. They are facts. But that's not necessarily the truth. You don't have to be a victim. You can be a victor. And it takes an adjustment in your mind and right people alongside you and you ultimately making a choice and decision to say, I'm not going to live by my past. I'm going to live by my future. My future has prospects. My past has blame. And Paul says here that 
I'm letting you know, guys, I was a murderer in my past. I persecuted people, he says this way, the followers of this way, in other words, the Christians, to their death. He was a murderer. So does God have a future for murderers? If they turn to Christ, a murderer's ways can be changed. Anyone's past. This is what most people cannot understand, that someone like an Hitler could, should he have been alive today, could have been forgiven. What? No, 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 not sure. You're not God. God died for the whole sin of the world. And your sin and my sin. So you're telling me God could, could have forgiven Adolf Hitler? Absolutely. God could have. I didn't say God did. I said God could have. He could have forgiven Stalin. And every other evil man that's ever walked this, or every evil woman that's ever walked on his face of the earth, if they'd have cried out for forgiveness, Christ could have forgiven them. Forgave them, I should say. Proper English. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve. Now he's had a change of heart. Now he's a believer. Now he's saying, I'm not like the other apostles. In other words, he's humble. He's not trying to say, I'm better than them. He's saying, these guys were before me. They got saved before me. I'm just, I'm just trying to find my way in this race. And he says, I'm at least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. So he's now mindful, even though he's in the race, he's mindful of the forgiveness that God's given him, but he's also not ignorant of what he did. But guess what? He's not let the past stop him from moving. He's moving. And then he says this. I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God. Whoa. I am what I am by his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, hey, I'm letting you know, I know what I did, but I'm not there anymore. I've moved on. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. So don't let your past become the reason, or let your origin become the reason for not moving. You need a fresh touch of the grace of God on your life to realize that, listen, even though I did something, I still remember it, but the shame of the past does no longer haunt me. It's the shame and the guilt that keep you in the blocks. The shame and the guilt will always... Listen, have you made mistakes? You know what they say? The man who, ne who never made a mistake never made anything. We've all made a mistakes. Regrets, I've had a lot. I am what I am. What a great song that is. I am what I am. And here's Paul sang it first. And his grace to me was not without effect. Guys, if the grace of God is not, does not have an effect upon your life, then you have to ask why. The grace must have an effect upon your life. The grace must have an effect upon your life. Stop. If you're still living as a Christian after all this time in effect mode, something's wrong. The grace of God must move you to a whole new level. Amen? It must move you to a whole new level. Then he says, therefore, I declare to you in Acts 20, 26, therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. 
What a powerful testimony. How his origin kept him, could have kept him a prisoner. Come on, you need to understand this. I'm talking to someone this morning. You're bound by your origin. Your past. Well, I, I never went to university. Neither did I. I didn't even go to school, never mind university. But I did go to school. Just I was, I was there, but I was never there. You know what I mean? School was never in me. Straight A student. The issue, <laughs> the issue is this is, did I use that as an excuse once upon a time? Once upon a time. I used it. It was my epitaph. I didn't, me and school didn't agree. And then God says, how long are you going to keep using this, son? How long are you going to keep using this? To think the guy who didn't get in school is writing books. Thank God I learned to read and write early. Thank God I have a good editor. Thank God I have other people who can help me get the dream out. Thank God. Because the grace of God in my life is not without effect. Don't let it become without effect in your life. The second phase that you'll see in your life is once you have your origin, you've been marked by your origins, you tend to find the next stage is called deterioration. Put it on Dave, please. Deterioration. Deterioration is a very powerful thing because your origins create one thing, and then from your origin, we normally experience in our life there's a deterioration. In other words, there's an effect, there's a slow down spiral, whether emotionally, psychologically, physiologically, you begin to deteriorate. I found myself when I came here. When I first came to this church, my life had deteriorated so much so that God had to almost get me born again. Again. My emotional, psychological state was at an all-time low because of my origin. And I was, in a, I was in a state of deterioration. And God had to do a unique work and help me. The first thing about the deterioration is this, is some of you don't know it. Some of you don't see how much you've deteriorated psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, physically. You don't see it. And because you don't see it, or you do see it, but you won't, take a, you won't acknowledge it, you stay in a point of deterioration. And your deterioration will always point you back to your origin. Come on. This is important you understand this. Deterioration is a very powerful thing for us. And in the book of Ezra, listen to this, it says this. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons. And they have mingled the holy race with the people around them. And the leaders and the officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. So when we look at deterioration, very often things have mingled into us into our subconscious, into our heart, into our soul, into our will, into our mind, into our emotions. And we carry this, and it's called baggage. The behaviors of our parents became ours. The comments, the the stories, the, the, the stuff that we saw going on around us, all of a sudden seemed to mingle itself into our lives. And these are called the law of attachments. 
you attach these things, whether consciously or unconsciously, these things got attached to your soul. They attach themselves. That's why you have low self-esteem. That's why you have low sense of value. Why? Because somehow they attach themselves to you based on the words and the events that took place in your origin. Does this help you? These are reasons why your race isn't run strong. The moment we feel, listen, unloved, unaccepted, rejected, deterioration sets in. The moment we feel unloved, unaccepted, and rejected, deterioration sets in into your bones. And it creates, the only way I can describe it, and for the guys who did the man up, the man up with me, I described it like this to you, that it's almost like soul displacement, soul kilter. There is a uh, fractured soul. It's an airline fracture that runs in the soul of a human being. And even though it's, because if you saw it was a break, you could fix it. But a fracture always leaves you weak. And at some point, you put pressure on the wrong point, ah, and you back off. Why? Because rejection will cause you to back off. Unacceptance will cause you to fade in the background. Why? Because unacceptance creates rejection. These are the things that we carry in the soul. But how do we, how do we overcome them? Well, love. Can I suggest these things to you if you want to overcome deterioration? Loving people. Well, I can't love people because I don't feel loved. That's wrong. That's not true at all. Because there's many things in life you love. Just not many people. So you, can, you are capable of loving things. So you, if you're capable of love, then it's a choice to love some things in life and some people. So love is a key factor to you coming out of deterioration. Another one is, it's a big one, this, listening. The man who listened to no one learnt nothing. Say to my, I said to my daughter only this week, which is a revelation for me and my daughter to have, to have this conversation. I said, Laura, honey, if you never listen to your dad, you'll never listen to anyone. I said, you'll, re, you'll repel every male voice that speaks into your life. She says, Dad, I know I've gone through that stage. I want to start listening to you. You know what that kind of does to a dad, don't you? It goes, <laughs> soul therapy, 101. Oh, I love it. When a daughter says that, dad will start listening to you. But at the same time, I'm not naive enough to think that's going to happen. But I'll check her up on that. Don't worry. Don't worry, because dad's smarter than that. So listening is a key factor to moving out of deterioration. Because to move you out of deterioration, something new is going to have to be spoken. So if you won't listen, how are you ever going to receive what is about to be spoken? Listening is key. And listening isn't something you do once. Listen, my people. It's a constant, continuous challenge to the church. Listen, my people. Then he says this, from when you listen, what's the next thing? You learn. 
are you teachable? Or are you always going to use your past to blame? It's amazing how you you use your past to teach others, but we don't always let other people use their past to teach us. Come on. Just hit home run right there. Boom. I just know I just hit one right there. You always want to use, and I want to use, especially as parents. Johnny, let me tell you. Kids go, oh, here we go again. Trip down memory lane. But then people say to us, and we go, oh, here we go. And the older that person becomes, we think, oh, we feel less connected to them. Oh, here's Uncle Albert with his war stories. It's amazing how we stop listening. I used to listen to uh, Walter in the care groups tell us his stories and uh, constantly, never never stop learning from from the man. And then he tells us how he was effective in the homes, witnessing to his doctor and uh, other people. And it's amazing how, you know, if, if you cut older people off, you'll stop learning. And the one thing the younger people have... I've missed is this whole thing of learning from the older people. Because the young people, once they've gone, they've gone. Once they've gone, they've gone. And then you say, well, I remember my dad. Oh, dad, that's, that's my granddad. Yeah, that's right. You know, what's wrong? Your granddad's still, but here's your granddad here. Why? Because he, he imparted into me. What you see, son, is your granddad. And everybody else who's, who I've listened to. And everyone else I've let influence my life but Johnny's going do we have to listen yes because if you don't listen you won't learn and the next thing is this if you don't listen if you don't love listen and learn you'll never trust people and if you want to come out of deterioration you have to learn to trust hello you have to trust sometimes when people are putting their hands out to help you You have to trust them and give them your hands. The older someone gets and their their movement is difficult. Carol, just sit there a minute, darling. Just just put your pet on a sec. We've learned this technology, helping David getting in and out of the car. Give me your hands. If I come up the side of Carol trying to get her out of the car, right, I can't put my hand under her backside. Come on, think of this practically. So if I go help David, David's a man. He's got 12 stone, is it? Say, 12 stone. So what do I do? Do I pick him up like that and then bust my back? No, I don't do it. So I've got to think smart. So I say, David, give me your hands. And I say, right, what we're going to do? We do that, rock. We rock like that. I say, on three, and then it just goes. And then there's no effort in it at all. But what's the first requirement for David? Give me your hands. Trust me. Give me your hands. And you know, for, for the first couple of months, we're all trying to bust our back. I think I'll be in a wheelchair at no time like this. And then I discovered this rock and flow. Come with me. Flow, flow. And you're never, because all you're doing is you should be doing that. So when you're lifting someone, help them to go with you. And then on three, it's dead easy. But they have to give you their hands. They have to trust you that you know what you're doing. It's true. It's true. That's a smart way of helping people out. Stand right in front of them, not at the side. Keep focus. Give me your hands. Help me. That's what Jesus says to you. Look into my eyes. Give me your hands. Listen to me. Trust me. 
True? So? You know, deterioration is a doorway and it's a pathway that will lead you to complete isolation, containment, and constraint. You seriously need to listen to others, trust others, love others, because your deterioration will kill you. And before you know it, your best years will have gone by. And you'll never get the best out of your race. You know, in the race... In a race, you will hit the wall. If you've ever done a long-distance race, they tell you you'll hit the wall. Now, for every runner, they hit the wall at a different stage of the race. I'm talking about long-distance running now, marathon running. And I hit the race, run about, I hit the wall, sorry, run about 20 miles. 20 miles. So I've got six miles to go. Now, you think, this has often been on my mind many times. Six miles is shorter than 20 miles, is it right? You think, oh, it's only six miles, but you feel more tired because you've run 20 miles. Six miles, you've got to run through the Curry Mile, you've got to run down Rush Home with all those restaurants stinking. <laughs> Curry's, you know, they're all crying out to you. You've had nothing in your stomach, you're dehydrated, and you just feel your, your body's all over the place, and all you can hear is, and they're going, no, run right through it. So you run, and you just can't try and keep your focus the last six miles. The last six miles, and all I'm getting is Jalfrez, Dopiazza, right? And Cuddy Mile, and Pillar Ice, yeah. And I'm running through it, and in the last six miles, and I'm thinking, and then your mind starts going, and you can't focus, and then you want to stop. And then you've got every reason in the book to justify yourself to stop. You don't look at how far's left. You go, I want to stop. I want to stop. But I told myself before the race, if you stop, you'll never get going. And the longer you've been running, if, here you go. The longer you've been running, if you stop, you'll never get going again. The younger you are, if you stop, there's every chance you'll get going again. But the older you get, why? Because the older you get, the more disillusioned and disappointed you become. And the, the harder it is for you to, to, to overcome disappointment. The older you get, the harder it is to forgive people sometimes and to brush off disappointment. Why? Because you think, I've finished with them. I've known them all this time. That's it. The church, that's it. We're gone to pot. The, the older people are the hardest to turn around. So, me running with Phil, Phil hit the wall. No, actually, it was the other way around. Phil hit the wall last. I, I, I you know, being Stallion, I ran it early and pushed through it as you do. So he's going through the cutting mile. <laughs> as usual, you know, I've got to pick him up. Yeah, Phil, get on the shoulder, running around. That's why I'm so knackered that I've got him on my shoulder. And he's going, oh, take me to my mum, take me, shut up. We gets it through, but the, thing, the issue is this, is the oldie you get, the harder it is for you to overcome your offense. It is. I've seen this more and more, and it's important that we keep the heart open. Keep listening, 
And this guy here in Colossians 4 to 12 says this, a Colopaphras. He says, who is one of you? Paul's writing about him. He says, who is one of you? He's a servant of Christ, Jesus. He sends his greeting. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. That you may stand firm in all the will of God. Mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those in Laodicea. This guy's young, but he's working for the older people. He's working that the older people will finish their race. And we need that, don't we? We definitely need it. Because there's a point we're trying to make, and it's just come around my head. <laughs> it's getting more, guys. It's getting more. You've got to pray for me. <laughs> the doorway pathway, that's it. That's what I was going for. The doorway pathway. Thank you, Lord. Bring me back. I'm getting dehydrated in this race here. This doorway and pathway will take you down areas that the older you get, if you stop, you'll never get going again. The younger you are, you, you're more resilient, you can take a beating, you can take a knock back, and you'll get up again. But the older you get, the less resilient you become in many ways. Spiritually, this is what I've discovered. And the doorways and pathways of deterioration are all, every day looking to take, uh, they're looking there every day to take you down. You've got to be so wise that that you don't get offended. Come on. Look at me now, everyone. So wise you don't get offended. You don't cut your kids off overnight, do you? And your kids cut you worse than anybody else. So if you've got the stomach to forgive your kids, because you think it matters, I can't cut my kids off. Because you think like that about your family, but you don't think like that about other people. You think, I don't need the church. I don't need those people. Wrong, 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 wrong. And that's a doorway and a pathway that will lead to your spiritual deterioration if you don't guard it. Seriously. The last one. Restoration. Well, I'll give you the last two. So there's restoration and destination. I'm just going to finish on restoration. We're finished. Give me two minutes. It's over. Restoration and destination. So you've got origin. You've got deterioration. You've got restoration and you've got destination, okay? Your origin creates the deterioration, okay? You ready? If you don't come out of restoration, so if you don't come out of deterioration, you'll never find restoration. If you don't get restored, you'll never find the destination. Does that make sense? So many people, if you wonder why they're not running their race, I guarantee those four or three things you should say, Origin, deterioration, restoration in their life. Well, if they've got none of those three things taking place, why would they ever get to destination? So Matthew says in Matthew 10, verse 38, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There is a... I can, have every, I can have the world, but have nothing. I can have nothing, but have everything. Yes? And Jesus is saying on this path, the world will want you to have everything. And it will open up a pathway and a doorway that will tell you, you can have everything if you do A, B, C, or D. Yes? But Jesus says, that's the broad path that leads to destruction. There's a narrow path that doesn't seem right to man, but it's right. That if you go this way, son... Though you won't, I can't promise you you'll have all that. What I can promise you is you'll have more than that. 
You'll have life. That's the race. The race. Because this over here is is what people want and what people look for. And the origin and deteriorate, that creates deterioration. Where this creates restoration and destination. True? Jesus called out to him. I love the fact that Peter blew it. I love the fact that Peter, the Apostle Peter, is just like me in so many ways. And what I mean by that, I'll tell you. He's opinionated. He's forthright. And dumb at times. I see all those traits in me. Yeah, I see all those traits in me. When I see them, if I don't, if I don't see them, I'm in trouble. If I do see them, I can make adjustments. Yeah, it's when I don't see him, I'm in trouble. And Peter, we all know he denied Jesus three times. You don't deny the Son of God. And he did it three times. Not once, three times. Peter, you're a bozo. You can just imagine the disciples going, No, Peter, you dipstick. You're not coming in. And here he says, right at the final end, Jesus has died, resurrected. He's finally come to, to see his disciples after his resurrection. And Peter's feeling all guilty. He's got his deterioration going on in his soul. Right? He's full of deterioration. He's let the Son of God down. And, Peter's, and Jesus is saying, you know what, son? I'm coming for you, Peter. Why? Because your material worth restoring. I'm coming to restore you, Peter. But Peter doesn't know how to get the dialogue going. Just like you and me. And Jesus said, I'm going to come into your space. And look at Peter's reaction, just like you. Watch this. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because a large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. No, Jesus, he knows. Oh, you can imagine all this guilt coming over Peter. Oh, no, he's come back to beat me up. Come back to give me a drill in here. And then he said, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment and tried to hide himself. That's called shame. That's called shame. Now the Lord's in his presence. But because you feel shame, you cover yourself and pull back. I love it about Jesus. He says, I'm going to go in there. I don't care. I'm going to uncover you. And then he says this. Pick up the story just for a second. In verse John 21, 15. And when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Okay, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Peter's thinking, what? He's even asking me that. Do I respond? Do I get angry? Do, what do I do? Do I cry? Do I blame him? Do I blame my past? Do I blame my mother? Do I blame my father for that action? Who do I blame? And then Jesus says to him, he said, yes, Lord. You can imagine. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, Lord, that I love you. Well, open your mouth, Peter, when you say it. Peter, why don't you open your mouth and let all the boys hear? But no, he didn't. He just kept on saying, he said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord. Imagine his, his voice is now going up a little bit here. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Take care of my sheep. The third time, 
Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? He's like Peter. He said, Peter was hurt. Because Jesus answered, asked him the third time. It's like, if that's your kid, you, your kid's going to go, you know! Why do you keep asking me? You know I love you. That's what kids do. True? But Peter goes, yes, Lord. You know I love you. And it's like, I'm getting a second chance here. I can't believe it. Restoration. He's give, you mean, are, are you telling me I'm still included? Are you telling me I'm going to make the X Factor? Are you telling me I'm going to the live show? Yes, Peter. <laughs> what have I got to do? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Is that it? You're not going to make me crawl, follow you on my knees? No, Peter. Do what I ask you to do, and en route, we'll restore what was broken. You know, Peter, because I haven't got time right now to fix everything that's broken you, but one thing I can tell you, Peter, is this. You keep moving, I'll move in with you, and we'll work it out on route. But Peter, do you love me? That's the question God's asking you today. Do you love me? Well, yes. Well, do I need to be restored? Yes. But how do I do that? Does that mean I've got to have a counseling session today? No. He says, get off your backside, do what I ask you, and I'll move in, and we'll fix it on route. But if you don't move, See, Jesus is more interested in movement than anything else. He needs you moving so he can fix. You want him to fix so you can move. Jesus moves first in your heart so that you'll move in your spirit. And as you move in your spirit, Jesus will come and help put right and restore what your origins and your deterioration has created in you. Get to the starting line. Get to the starting line. Paul declared this, I fought the fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. I trust this is helping you. The Lord spoke to me about this a long time ago. And I've not had the release to bring it to you. Not felt the release to bring it to you. And it's only in this last week that I felt the Lord say to me, now's the time to tell them. Origin. The Bible tells us about origin. In the beginning was God. And God was with the Word. And God was the Word. And the Word was together with His Father. So there's His origin. Amen. He tells us, you never see deterioration in Christ. Spiritually, there was no deterioration. No deterioration whatsoever. His flesh and blood deteriorated, but his spirit was alive. Amen? Restoration, he didn't need restoring. He came to restore. He came to restore what was broken. Amen? So that you and I could have a destination. And we'll talk about the destination again. The destination is what? All those three things are taking place to move you to the destination. Amen? It's restoring us so that the destination can be glorious. So when we finish, when we finish, we say, I fought the fight, I ran the race, I kept the faith. That's the proof of restoration took place in your life. I fought, I ran, I kept. 
Amen? I fought. I ran. I kept. Three aspects. I fought. Some of you have stopped fighting. Some of you have stopped running. Some of you have lacked lacking faith. So right now, if you had to go home tonight, you couldn't turn around and say, I ran the race. I didn't fight that battle. That battle fought me. I fought the law and the law won. Do you know that song? It's like some battles fight you and they win. And God is saying, no, no, no. Hear what the Spirit is saying to you this morning. I hear you. I see your origin. I know where you've come from. I know you, I know you better than you know yourself. I know your past. But I also know your future. And your future is this side of the grave. Let's talk about that future first. Because what's on the other side? You've got to die. We're not talking about dying. We're talking about living. Yeah? Run the race. You've got to be alive to run the race. Dead people don't run races. Yeah? Just lift your hands up if you will. I'm going to ask you if you, if you want to get to the starting line again. I just feel these last couple of weeks, the need to bring you to the starting line, to surrender, get to the starting line. Your origin and your, and your, your origin has created deterioration in you. You need to acknowledge and take responsibility for that. Acknowledge it's taken place in your life. Acknowledge that's the reason why you've been struggling in the race. Acknowledge it before Jesus today. Come on, I'm just going to ask you now. Just lift up a prayer and acknowledge that before God. God Almighty, you know my past. You know how deteriorated I've been in my, my soul, my mind, my will and my emotions. You know, oh God. You know, Lord. You were there at the conversations. You were there at the abuse. You were there at the beatings. You were there at the scalding. You were there at the ridicule. You were there at the rejection. You were there, oh God. And Lord, I've held on to it and I've used it to blame other people and I've covered myself. It's protected me. But oh God, today you've stepped into my world and you, you, you're asking me, do, you, do I love you? You're asking me, do, do, do I love you? Lord, you know I love you. But Lord, I just can't seem to get in the race because this thing is so heavy. And I, and I feel such, I feel the weight and the pressure of the deterioration that's been upon my soul. But God, you know I love you, but I just can't seem to get up and get to the starting line. Jesus says to you this morning, do you love me? Three times he's asking you, do you love me? He's waiting for your response. Then he says, then give me your hands. Just like I showed you in the illustration. Put forth your hands. Look at me in the eyes. And let me take you off from that place of containment and limitation and deterioration. Put your hands out to me and follow me. Follow me, he says. Follow me. Give me your life this morning. Surrender your hurt, your pain, your deterioration. Surrender it this morning and give your life to me. And I promise you I'll begin to restore the years the locusts have eaten. I'll restore the years that have seemed to be lost. I'll restore it, says the Lord. For I am the Lord, your God. There is no other God besides me. If that's you. Put your hand up this morning and let's, let's pray that Jesus Christ reinstates you back into the race. 
pray this prayer with me? If you're bold enough to pray this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, I give you my life today. I'm no longer going to live as a victim. I'm going to no longer live with deterioration. I'm no longer going to live with blame, insecurity, rejection. Jesus Christ, I want to follow you and follow you wholeheartedly. Today, I surrender my life and I give you what's left of it. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to bring Jesus into my life. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Wash me of my past. I want to be clean. I want a whole new future. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I want to live with purpose and destiny. If that's you this morning, I want you, before you leave this building, if you've, if you've welcomed Jesus Christ into your life this day, I want you to come and tell me. So we can help you stay on this race and help this restoration process. Because restoration is not one conversation. Restoration is many conversations which involve the listening, the learning, the observing, the loving, the forgiving. All those are keys to your restoration. But if you love me, Jesus said, feed my sheep. In other words, tell others. Tell others. Feed them. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a God who hears. You're a God who reveals. You're a God who exposes. You uncovered Peter's shame. You didn't let Peter hide in that boat and cover himself. But Lord, you went in after him knowing he was filled with guilt. Lord, you pursued him. I thank you, O oh God, that you're pursuing us. That you won't leave us nor forsake us. You pursue us. So, Father, this morning we humbly come before you and your throne and we say, Lord, here we are. Take us. Take us in the race, O oh God. Take us in the race. <coughs> we will not be contained by our origin. But we press on to the mark of which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. And we run with all his energy. Triumphing. Over every situation. In Jesus name. And the people of God said. Amen. Amen. Come on let's give the Lord a standing ovation. Thank you Father. Thank you Father. Oh thank you Father.